0: Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic University podcast. I'm your host Anthony Canton III, and very much like the Guardians of the Galaxy, we're kind of just trying to make our way through the at, the after portions of the movie as we've continued to digest what a tremendous movie this was. We do have some special guests with us to talk about this movie, but first, I wanted to introduce the super producer Jake Christie. Jake, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, I just showed off on camera my new Guardians of the Galaxy t-shirt that I got uh, when I was at Epcot uh, on Saturday. Uh, you know, had to do, had to, I was in the store and I'm like, this is a very overpriced because it's at Disney but I have an appropriate reason to wear it so I had to buy it.
0: Exactly, exactly. And there's no no better reason to be wearing a shirt like this as we have some special guests with us. First, a returning guest. Uh, she is the art director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Friend of the show, Samantha Avila. Samantha, welcome back. How are you doing?
2: I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And I was I was just one of the art directors. There were there are many of us.
0: Oh yes, and we will absolutely get into that as we go. We also have a couple of additional guests too. Go, Sam brought her brought some of her team here, so we're we're grateful to have them. First, we have uh, Kristen Jenkins. She was a set designer on Guardians Three. Kristen, how you doing? Welcome to the program.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Likewise, likewise. And also we have a we have a concept artist and an illustrator Christian Shore. Christian, welcome to the program. How you doing, Hi. sir? Hi. Happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. So, I had a bit of a question that I was going to get into to start this, but I just realized we were talking about something specific. Friend of the show Cameron Hawkins who S- uh, Samantha knows. Uh, was talking about a, a certain set piece, and Jake, why don't you take it away?
1: So, the uh, he was talking about because you know him is how we got Sam onto the program to begin with, and he was talking about a certain set that he mentioned on our show last week that his girlfriend said, "I have mean, it looked like a butt or an anus." Is that what oh. you? Said? <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to be crass, but um, God, and you and S- Sam being a very a sweet person for doing this, had listened and had heard that this was brought up. And um, I, when Cam mentioned that uh, about it, like when I heard that, I told him, well, now I know what our first question is going to be when we have her on again. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I apologize. I don't remember exactly who on here did what. But how do you respond to that accusation about the Orgo, um their, their <laughs> station? How do you respond to that claim of what it looks like?
2: Uh, I feel like that's the tip of the iceberg that you guys just hit the surface level of everything else we called it okay <laughs> <laughs> but that was and that was actually um art director Lauren Fleming it was her mm-hmm. that was her world um, mm-hmm. her planet
4: oh so, my. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah like, so Lauren and um and we had just like some um just other amazing set designers and illustrators and I think Christian and Kristen you guys may have worked on some of that so you can speak more to it um but i i know that i definitely heard terms that i had never even heard before (laughs) (laughs) just to be completely
3: honest Um, i didn't specifically work on orgo but i definitely had a lot of people coming by and being like does this look like a thing to you and i'd be like oh (laughs) (laughs)
4: oh
5: It might be a bit of a gun thing and an internal joke. I know that uh, my colleague Sebastian Meyer illustrated the exterior of it and uh, there was a lot of jokes about uh, you know, I'm getting older, the endoscopy is coming, you know, like there's a lot we gave this thing many, 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 many names, but uh, I think it's actually a, an incredibly cool set and yeah. an incredibly complex set too. If you look at the interior, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. I had the the, the pleasure to design some of the the inside, uh, and um, it's a cool set. But uh, you know, just tell the kids it's a slime
1: spiral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it really is such a. You're right when you say it's like a gun thing because it just when I was in the watching it, it's like yes, of course, yeah, it's a thing and it's in this movie. But when you take a step back, it's like it's a spaceport made of flesh. Yeah. um and anthony clearly forgot that we're recording video on this too and is fully like taking a stroll with this camera but anyway um i just oh, have to call name. it out because i can't <laughs> cut all of this out i have to mention it i know um, no, it's all good it's all good keep it in keep it in uh, we're all of course.
2: i remember remember laura cox like she was talking about meat trees and i was meat like trees. meat trees like what but then like christian what you were saying um in terms of the complexity uh the other set designers. I don't know, everybody was working on it. Kristen, you may know more, but like Chris Sanford's horseshoe crab um, Mm -hmm. and Ed's, like incredible, like all these section cuts, they were doing all this bone structure. It was incredibly complicated and it had to like come apart and travel to different locations and the people who built it and the steel structure inside of it. I'm looking at it going like, how in the world, where do you even start with that? This complex geometry to build something like that. I, also, I really spent like
3: months just going back and forth between what these shapes were and just how they how they would build it and and those set designers spent the large majority of the entire show that we were on working on all those details to make that possible.
1: Yeah, yeah. and and that actually brings up a thing that I want to talk about more generally um just cuz I, I it's a good segue. This was actually later in our list of questions, but basically when you are um designing a set like that, how much are you given free reign to think about the function of everything that is on the set? Like when you're designing an interior, even if it's not in the script that there's like a panel that does this, this, and this, are you given a lot of like other conversations that are had like given specific ideas of what it's supposed to be? Or are you kind of given the free reign to say to yourself well they probably would need a rack to hold over their guns so let me build that into a wall like how much of that is a dialogue and how much of it is you just kind of being able to take the wheel
3: it's really super collaborative is i mean like it starts with a script and what mm-hmm. in this case what james wrote and what we were going to see and touch and mm-hmm. that environment but then you get things that james wants things that the production designer beth wants the art directors have different ideas we have different ideas and so we kind of just, we have that big conversation of, of all these just, oh, that would be neat or, oh, there definitely has to be this. We need to make sure that you can see this. And James really likes to have a good 360 view yeah. of everything, which is incredible. And, and is part of why Nowhere is so incredible mm-hmm. to get and, and be standing inside. Yeah. Um, then we look at those ideas and go, oh, that's cool. Could you work more in that or make a couple different versions of that, mm-hmm. or I'd really to see a different shape here or whatever. So there ends up being 40 versions of something before mm-hmm. we sol- we solidly pick something, but it's just really cool to play with different, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe yeah. this is better here. So it's just really an interesting thing that we get to play around with, but involves mm-hmm. so many different ideas and different people's brains. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'd be curious to hear Christian from your side of it, because when I came on to do Nowhere, your illustrations, were either in process or already almost already done. And so your incredible compilations like helped me look at this and go, okay, well, like, what are the important parts, the script parts? Like you said, Kristen, like the Zoom, where's the Zoom going to be in Rocket's apartment? Um, What does his apartment look like? What does he usually work on? Where's the window that Warlock bursts through? All that kind of stuff that you guys, like set designers too, some of them have figured out the blocking of things and where the important parts were. And um, and um, yeah, I'd be curious for, for you, Christian, because I felt like there was a lot of free reign that I had, a lot of freedom, just because there was so many surfaces that people were like, I don't know, you figured out. Here are the important things, the speakers, the Zune, the orloney stand where they have to get the barbecue
5: thing yeah. i remember i was talking about that i mean nowhere was the first thing i was allowed to work on and again i want to re-emphasize that i'm just one of 20 illustrators from sebastian meyer to shane baxley ed natividad I just, I, i'm forgetting the best ones i just want to make sure so uh, that i'm just one you know of of, of it's a small team you know, it's not hundreds, it's maybe 10 to 20 people who have that privilege. I came in rather late. Usually I'm on a show, sometimes even before the production designer. On Aquaman and Aquaman 2, I was there before the production designer got hired directly. But in this one, because it had this sort of gap, I came in and a lot of sets were already built as models. So and, and incredibly beautiful models of Ann Porter, et cetera, many, many great sets, but it didn't really have this cohesion. So my job was really to kind of actually paint them up, but also to paint up what happens behind that already gigantic set. But when you're in this battle where Nebula fights uh, the Warlock, you see this huge city behind. So I was doing a lot of paintings which express this. and. Um, I give one example, for example, the exterior of the, of quill's little pod. Uh, i mm. I gave it a texture which was blue and orange, blue and orange because I actually took a image of the Milano. is it the Milano of his first uh, right yes. Yes. maybe yeah. i I will give this <laughs> color to to his pod, but but it's just subliminal so the people think, mm, mm-hmm. as a blue and orange thing, you know, maybe it's cool. And um, and so also I use a lot of colors of favelas, and this is all stuff which Beth Mikkel and 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 David and and Alan Hook and everybody were were also telegraphing in. But at one point I re- there was this comment. It's where, where I was starting to get worried. It says it looks too much basically like the first nowhere we need to do something else so <laughs> like to do varieties in orange in in, in dry because it, it's very blade runnery the, the early nowhere yeah. stuff.
2: and I remember it was funny like James specifically said he didn't want it to turn into blade runner yeah and so we were always fighting that like okay what is it and I know when I came on that blue and orange I absolutely used like I immediately was like got it Rocket is green. I was looking at video games too. I would like yeah. turn his into Donkey Kong. <laughs> like I made his you know, room Donkey Kong because it made sense. But also that's what I love about what we do just as an art department. We do subliminal storytelling that way. Colors, textures, like we're always telling a story. And with these sets, I feel like on Guardians, we were really able to sink our teeth in. And every single, every single inch of that Set, every single set is well thought out and makes sense and what's considered to tell that story for whatever is on screen.
0: Mm, that's a, That's interesting, Christian, that you mentioned coming in on the project late. So just if you could tell the audience, based off of stuff like that, you're no stranger to big projects. So you come on something like this. Does it change your mindset, especially coming in late and how you decide to attack something like this? You guys all have included that it's a a collaborative effort and stuff like that. But Christian, for you coming into this specific thing and you have this team together and you're trying to, you know, get things kind of going on the fly as it's a it's kind of moving along as we go. What was your mindset in coming into this and does it change? Do you still have the do you still attack it the same just uh, to get to pick your brain in, on
5: that. In a in a sense, in a sense, it's it's always a bit the same. It doesn't really matter. But there were already models which I actually liked. That there was already a part of the thought process done and appreciated it because when you come in cold, it can be quite interesting. But for me, each time I make these big movies, it's like slaying a dragon. It's, it's just like you just <laughs> have to do it. You can't even think too hard about it. If not, you go, oh, millions of people are going to see that. It's like, if, if you think like that, you can't do it. So, in a sense, my, my way to do it is just get stuff on the page and then then synergetically have this bounce back. I'm happy they say it's crap because then I know it might not be that. You know, it's like, oh, green is the worst color ever. Why? So, okay, then we know no green. So, for me, it's just to facilitate the conversation between the set designer, the production designers. And even the this affects groups later, what, what I can do is, though, to make a quite hyper-realistic rendition. So that's the fun part. But um, it was definitely something, something. Uh, everybody knew this is going to be interesting. And, and that's coming from a person who works on many big movies already. So uh, I was very honored to be on that because I yeah. love The Guardians. So it was like, wow, oh, I'm glad to be here. <laughs>
0: Yeah and and I think I think to to hit another point as as we go further there were a lot of just very incredibly not only uh colorful but very vibrant sets that we saw in this movie and I should ask like what was your you all guys favorite set to kind of work on and put together what Kind of because I I know like it's probably a lot of fun to be putting some of this stuff together, and I know Kristen, you mentioned earlier how how fun it is to actually be given that type of reign to do something as uh, beautiful as this movie uh, was. Very often, so I guess Sam, I'll start with you, and then Kristen, and then and then uh, and then Christian. You can all answer this. Like, what was kind of your favorite thing to put together?
2: Um, well, in case anybody. Doesn't know nowhere, minus the spaceport and the um oh god, Kristen, what was it? The the pilot pilot bay, the bay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> minus that, everything else in nowhere was one set essentially. So, like, you would walk onto stage 17 at Trilla Studios and you could walk from quills to rockets all the way down the stairs. You could go into the armory, you could go get an Orlone, you could go. So all of these sets, everybody would all the other art directors are like, oh, you just have one set. And I'm like, no, it's more than one set. It's all these other little sets. Um, so within that, um, I have to say, one that I kept coming back to, I loved I loved all of them in a way. I really do. I spent a lot of time with them. And like you said, it was very colorful. And Beth Mickle, our amazing production designer, was so encouraging of that. Um, because and just to go back a little bit about that, looking at the original Guardians films and actually even the Avengers films where you see a little bit of nowhere um, at the spaceport, if you were to turn on the lights and the photos that we got as reference, it's very colorful and very bright. But because those films due to the nature of like it's at night or yeah. there's a like, you know, they're fighting Thanos, so you don't want right. necessarily bright and happy colors that it seems very dark and you don't get to see a lot of those details and i think it was really freeing for us um and for beth to just be like have fun with the colors and then we'll age them down and our amazing paint department run by damon bowden i mean he we came in with the craziest color palette and we're like can we do this and <laughs> i think they love those challenges because they're artists too and just being able to really really push the boundaries um and so all that being said, I loved the apartment buildings, and Daniela Madara is an amazing set designer for that. That is her her pride and joy. I think because of the storytelling aspect, we start there and we end there is the boot of Jemiah the bar. Mm-hmm. Um there's just like all the angles are crazy, and there was so much, there were so many nods to like Guardians One. The floor yeah. was very much an ode to the original bar in Guardians 1. Um, and so was the armory floor, actually. Um, and that was um, a- another incredible designer who had done those. Um, and and I think the colors in there are so beautiful, and they complement the costume so well. And I, it's the last time we see all the Guardians together, so it kind of had a special place in my heart.
0: <laughs> Kristen? <laughs>
3: I think um for me one of the really cool things about it was like like sam was saying it was it was one big set but it was so many different elements to it and we had between nowhere and the spaceport and the pilot bay there were 12 different set designers that worked on it and then you have all the illustrators that also worked on it and all the art directors assistant art directors so it was really cool to have all of our little pieces sort of interlocked together to make one big unit and need of us just to kind of different shapes and textures and the textures were just incredible. Just the weird things that we found that we went, Oh, this is crazy. <laughs> like there's the pig grating and like <laughs> these different pipes and this random, like would-be <laughs> kind of would, thing, be would be garbage kind of thing would be garbage. And just, it was interesting. We would come up with some sort of like shape or texture or whatever. And you would start talking to the set designer near you and you'd be like, Oh, you're doing the same thing. I'm going to do something different or they would do something different just so that that way it did look so layered as as it went. Our set decorator, Rosemary, she just, her team put so many different layers on top of the crazy stuff that we made that it just was, it was unbelievable to stand in and just see all the stuff and all the different colors and paint textures. Cause even the colors that we made after paint came through and made it look, so damaged and old and and like it had been through hell because it had been through hell (laughs) Um, and that was a big difference between uh, literally and figuratively um (laughs) but (laughs) but that was a big difference between the earlier guardians and this one was that there this was a rebuild of of nowhere like nowhere was coming back together and rebuilding itself and had been through so much trauma and you could literally see everything it had been through with all the layers that were incorporated by everyone
0: no that's that no that's tremendous stuff uh, and Christian uh dragon slayer that you are what what was your favorite uh, <laughs> favorite uh, thing to be a part of constructing
5: well there, there were two things uh, and and one was very well, both were challenging but uh, and, and a bit scary so uh, after i spent uh, i think a month or a certain amount of weeks on nowhere i got this request saying we we have this this flying cube the already and we have the um nowhere, which is a gigantic skull. And and they explained it to me. It's like this huge spaceship or whatever is gonna dock with with that skull, and we, we don't know how to do it. And and it becomes a problem for the entire thing. It was literally a square peg in a round hole, and it's like how, how is that gonna work? <laughs> my, my, and, and, and Beth, our productionist, I said, if you, she said, this mission, if you choose to accept it, she, it wasn't like a mission impossible. She said these words, <laughs> and and so I built a model, and I actually made an animation where it rotates and it docks, and and I think that was a that was an unbelievable moment to to because we were not sure if it actually can work to so to solve this. That was a, mm-hmm. a typical. Type of thing where, where not even the illustration was enough. It had to be actually an animatic to to really explain it. Later, I was involved in, in in many many shots which included that docking and that spaceport. And the second one, which which I really loved and was excited about, it was um, the high evolutionaries uh, spiral set mm. because that was one which was not designed. So I was asked to design something. A throne and I had different versions in the there was some which which was cubes, and I had one which was I called the Oculus, which was like an eye. And then I did a crazy one, which was a spiral, mm-hmm. and which which because I wanted to do something which reminded people subliminally of a DNA, because it's sort of messing with DNA. Yes. So this, this spiral staircase is actually a DNA, you know, a chain. And and I gave it to them I said, you can never build this. It's it's impossible to build. <laughs> and then they later said, Are we making this? I said, Oh, that's nice. It's gonna be a nice 3D set. How much of, we, of it do we build? Oh, we build all of it. So that that when I when we saw that later, I was like, wow, that that's that's really, really cool. No.
2: I remember that set, like because it wasn't my set. That was uh Dominic Silvestri, another art director. There's just an endless amount. We just come from props, Um <laughs> and uh he that was his set, like a lot of the high evolutionary stuff was his. And I remember going over, and Steve Gindorf uh is one of the construction foremen. And the actual set is very cool. Don't get me wrong, but seeing the flattage that he had to build with all the one by one buys and two buys going up in a radius arc. I mean, that man has more mathematical and geometric genius than I have in my little pinky finger. I mean, he's the things that he had to come up with in order to build that practically and not have it fall down on people, even though that's what happens in the film, that's all special effects. Like <laughs> it was very impressive, very impressive. So kudos, right. That one was really cool. That was actually the first
3: set. I worked on the iteration that was um, like the different angles. Uh, I didn't do the one that we actually ended up making. Um, But what was really interesting was the, not only did Gendorf do all of that, but it also had its little textures in it too, like where it was like a grooved acrylic. So it was not only just the geometry that he had to do, but it was a special material he had to work with because we had to be able to light it up and and do all that stuff to it that just made it even more complicated for him but he killed it were those vacuum formed I
2: don't remember what do you remember what those for, were? yeah they were back okay and they were but all they different were like thick. in sizes right
4: mm-hmm.
2: yeah and they were they were like super thick
1: no. <laughs> <It
0: was crazy. laughs> Jake you got something further uh
1: yeah I just I mean I thought that the high evolutionary sets were In I mean, this is the most obvious point in the world, but just the the dichotomy between how empty and cold they were and how messy and warm Nowhere is, I think is just like something that I really appreciated. I I think I appreciate so much about the Nowhere set is that although it obviously is old and is being rebuilt, there is just, I think, a lived in warmth that it has to it that the previous one didn't have. The previous one felt run down and gross, whereas this feels like it has character if that makes sense. Like the way a realtor would sell it. Like it feels like the rundown down in this is not a huge problem that it's like a big, it's a nice place to be. Um but yeah I that's so interesting about uh, I wonder do you ever um Christian do you ever get um you know a little drunk with power knowing that you could just draw something and someone's like well I guess I gotta build it you know Well, <laughs> <the time. laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> it, it, it's just, I, I don't really think about it anymore. I made I made almost 45 movies, I, I do see the big sets. And my bigger question is always, is this going to be practical? Is this not going to be practical? We are now living in a world where a lot of things get offloaded to digital. And what I appreciated so much of the work of all the people which did the practical stuff, how much practical there really is. In the time of the Mandalorian, where apparently everything can be made uh, with retro projections, don't get me wrong, these things are fantastic. But but the fact that they built a whole town, it's like, I had to explain it to my daughter. It's like you can walk into each of those rooms. It's just, and it feels like that. And I and this feels elevated to to the things which just have those uh, those screens because they can walk and they can do that. So so I often I was very happy to see these translations. I thought, but do I think ahead like oh how can I mess it up so much for everybody? Sometimes <laughs> so like, I have a feather on my shoulder so like what could I do like let's let's make a Victorian spaceport. It's going to be hard. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I mean, this 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 is already so insane. The, this le- I knew it because I saw the first two movies, so I knew what was coming. <laughs> but I I something. only when you see the movie or you see it even multiple times, you start to appreciate, especially the aging process, the the work. The the, the unsung heroes are often what we call the set painters. These are people they can make or break a set just by the way they they paint it up. It's a very very special skill, and there are not that many around. So it it is it is very cool. Yeah. I yeah.
4: have
5: never seen any of the sets. I was it was COVID. I, I did all this stuff from home,
1: so <laughs> for me it was also a bigger shock to see it yeah. on the, actually actually finalized. And, but, and I think that oh sorry go Sam.
2: I was just gonna say, like to Christian's point, like he brought up something that I know when I first come on and there is an illustration or there's renderings. One of the first questions is, How much are we building? What is an extension? And James, to his credit, he really wanted to build as much as possible. He Mm -hmm. was like, Um, you know, I want this to be a world that you can walk into. I want this to be, you know, an immersive environment. And so like that line got a little bit higher and higher. And obviously we have to reach a limit because our stages are only so big also. <laughs> um, but just to be able to have the support of a director and a studio who's like, yeah, let's go big. You know, let's do that. Um, and then having to translate that into what's built and then what goes to the visual effects department and hats off, I definitely think nowhere, you um, Stephanie Ceretti, his team um, is like the extensions that they did. I thought were just so perfect. It took me the second time watching it to be like, wait, where, where did we cut again? Where was the cut line for the extension? I don't even remember. Cause it was just so seamless.
1: Yeah. Cause what I was going to say is just that, like, I think that I'm, I'm never someone who is like, Anti VFX in any way. I mean, I host a podcast podcast about Marvel movies. I couldn't be, but um, I think that there just is. I always feel like when you have a more out there or cosmic story, I think the more tangible things you can have always helps ground it because like we know what, uh, you know we know what real things look like and we can tell the, we can subliminally tell the difference. And I feel like when you have somewhere like Nowhere where you have a space dog that can talk or you have people floating, you have weird people in makeup and aliens and all that. I think that like, having real things have having them interact with real things makes them feel more real if your cgi characters only interact with things that are also cgi it feels completely intangible and so i thought that like i mean i think that that's what the guardians movies do so well and i this one was really a breath of fresh air because there have been so many blockbusters where it feels like it's blobs fighting blobs in front of blobs and once again there are plenty of things that are done really great with cgi but i just love when you can have a real set and so the real human moments are being done. The act, Everything the actors see is what's going to be on the screen. It just... I don't know. I just really was... I really loved the design of this movie. Like, I was happy to talk to you guys both because it's an inside <laughs> scoop. And, like, the production design and all that was yeah. some of my favorite stuff in the movie. So it, it was uh, I, well done. And I think the seat, it was seamless with the VFX. Like, it really... I, you could have told me that nowhere was the size of an actual city. And I would have been like, yeah, it looked like it. Sure.
2: <laughs> I mean, and it kind of was. And thank you. Thank you. And that's like hats off to our entire team. And, you know, somebody else, Kristen, you mentioned Rosemary Brandenburg and her incredible team. I mean, and Dan sudik and all just so many people <laughs> laid hands on these sets that bring in their own knowledge and their own storytelling to make it real. And that goes down to the set dressers or the PAs who come in and they are also very excited. And so everybody brings in their own little gems. And when you put them all together, it just turns into this like big, beautiful diamond. Not literally, but you know,
1: like. No, 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 no. That's how, that's how it works. I'm a scientist and that is how diamonds are made. Oh, oh, okay. Right,
2: right. Um, But yeah, that's, that is, um. That's just, I would say, just, yeah, hats off to an incredible team for making these worlds so amazing. And Beth Mickle, our leader, um, designing this for us. And I know that, I don't know about you, Christian, or you, Kristen, but uh, there was a whole first round of design that happened in 2018 with Beth and Mm -hmm. Alan and Dave. And Dave Scott, one of our supervising art directors, he was actually the first art director of nowhere. And I remember seeing some of the models from that. And it was, I wouldn't say wildly different, but significant enough to where I'm like, oh no, I mean it wasn't that. It would have still been cool. But because of storylines and things, um, just the design changed.
0: Yeah, I to, to just kind of add on to the whole nowhere thing, because I think the thing that leaves a lasting image in my mind as I think about this movie is really the beginning and the end with with nowhere and kind of seeing that it felt like home for for the guardians and i think specifically that last scene that last the dog days are over yeah. the dancing the singing the just kind of like it felt cathartic not only for the audience watching but for the characters themselves and i think in the for the actors in a way it was almost like a celebration of everything that they've done to this point which I thought was really beautiful. So, if you guys could talk about it a little bit, what went into that? Because it's it has. There's so many people. There's all the kids that were that were picked up from the high evolutionary, and everyone is th- everyone is there. It's even the monsters that they that they saw too. All of the animals as well. So, if you can talk about that, what what in bringing that together, uh, what was that like?
2: Um, so for the opening and the end.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you, you could go yeah. Well, opening yeah, opening is is just as important too because you kind of you see the guardians again after the you think about the holiday special and where we leave Peter. Yeah. And Peter's right back being you know drunk and kind of struggling. And then of course like you know Rocket is listening to the song at the beginning of the movie. Like all of that stuff is very poignant and stuff that I think about when I think about this movie. So yeah, you could talk about both.
2: I I loved I remember doing the walkthroughs, and when we first talked about it, that James wanted a one-er, which is a one-shot, opening mm-hmm. the film, tracking Rocket all the way through, and coming around, and we were like, really? Like, they're going to cut. <laughs> they're going to cut. They're not going to yeah. cut. Um, and then on the day, I mean, there was a practical cut that we had to do because they couldn't get the camera crane, like, up and past our actual built bridge. But, I mean, we shot that over and over and over again, and that took a lot of planning. It took a lot of planning um, of James being able to walk in a virtual set um, with a VR headset, us walking it um, as ourselves, as art directors, and going, okay, how long is it gonna take to walk down the stairs? And then watching James have to do it, and then watching the actors have to do it, to understand, do we need to move this building? Do it, like, that a lot of planning goes in early, early on, because with Christian's illustrations, that awesome shot when the title card comes up—that was your illustration. I remember seeing that and being like,
5: "Oh, that's." Yeah, good. I, remember that. <laughs> I remember that because I was, I was. See, they said, "Look, look, Quill is very unhappy. He's very sad, and Nebula is going to get him, and then they're going to walk all forward, and then that title card comes up, like in all Guardian movies." And I said, hmm, "I'm, I'm getting the title card," and I, <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was kind of it was a cool moment you know because i, I knew what that actually means but it was funny in my mind I, I still was in the early uh first uh first nowhere where it was almost overpopulated so in the second nowhere it's actually quite empty so my illustrations for example of the bar were full with people and i wanted a quill which is lonely among others you know he's alone and he's depressed and gets drunk but he has a thousand people around him who can't help him except for his... that was my my thinking so I put a lot of people in later I realized oh no they empty that out and then in the last shots it's full with people and and in this population it's vibrant it's full it's populated it has kids it has penguins it has yeah <laughs> It's, yes. it's a brilliant sort of Noah's Ark of of this world. so so I, I love that transition from from the empty to the full, from from the first colors which were almost desaturated, orange to the vibrant colors in the end. everything makes sense with with Gun. That's what I realize it's like there are so few directors who who think things through. Emotionally too. I mean, musically. I asked my daughter this morning. at drive went to school and said, "Do you think that uh, that Radiohead song was was always there? Was that the base of the whole movie? I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. I want a different body. I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. Is that the is that the heart of the movie? As Rocket is the heart of the movie. Was this yeah. song the heart of the movie? And and how long did James? Gonna know Mm
4: -hmm.
5: that he will use that song. I always want to know if you guys, when you built the set, do you play those songs? Yeah,
2: Yeah. Yeah. I could not get that Florence (laughs) and the Machine song out of my head for weeks. (laughs) (laughs) and And it was awesome. And everybody, like, what was really cool is just seeing how I think you can't help it when it's not just the actors, but you have extras and kids and a dog, and <laughs> there's just this kind of excitement and vibrancy on set. And I remember the planning for that, for me, a lot of it had to come after the um, the battle sequence. So we had a lot of rubble there. So there was a huge question of how many people can we fit on this stage? Because uh, as Christian mentioned, it was still COVID times. So we had to be considerate right. of how many people are unmasked, dancing around each other. Um, and god bless our ad department for having to deal with that but we were able to get a lot of people in and they all tested and all that and um that was days worth of shooting like days yeah. of different of different cutaways right we it, it's the last time we see a lot of these characters so everybody had to have their moment um and those scenes where you hear the you hear the music in the film and i can i 99% sure that it's in the script Like James has a list. He knows, like you said, Christian, he planned this out. Um, And on the day, if there's a musical call out, I can just speak for nowhere to say that, yes, those songs were played because it helped the pacing. So Mm -hmm. like Rocket Walking was Sean Gunn um, playing Rocket and like, or they would have the uh, stuffy, the puppet there. How long does it take to get to this point and to time that all between music and the action that's happening in advance I yeah. I'm very impressed it's very impressive
1: yeah, yeah. for sure but personally I think that the, that creep definitely to answer the question you asked your daughter I think it definitely was there from the beginning I just because it is just and I know uh I mean mm-hmm. I joked on the on um, when we did our review that as a person who owned a Zune and whose favorite band is Radiohead I felt seen what? in this movie Um <laughs> and so I, no, I had one I did you that was the first one. like major like I had like a tiny oh. iPod and I remember me and my brothers all got Zunes for Christmas the year like they're big and we were so positive they were going to be the big thing and you know what we were uh, very wrong it was bad <laughs> we made oh. <laughs> uh but any but yeah I I I think that that's a great point you're making about um I, I, the way that the music just especially with the opening cuz I think that um I feel like if you were to mute that scene you'd be like why is rocket walking so slow but because you can't walk fast and listen to the acoustic version of creep it just can't be done so um yeah
2: I actually no. my favorite one was the no sleep till brooklyn oh,
1: oh classic. classic oh
2: yeah. God. Amazing. And even like, I, I watched it a second time last week. And it like the, the last song, the dog days are over, like, oh, everybody's dancing. And that felt really nice. But when it cuts away to him going home and it's that slow moment in the song, mm. and I was like, oh, my God, he paced it so perfectly. And it doesn't feel rushed. Yes. His grandfather and then it cuts right back and
0: i was like oh wow i'm just, that was like that was great work and that's why i said like i you know like you said you were playing the song a lot i mean i've been playing the song a lot myself um cuz i said it la- i said it last week when we did the show i think from a, just an emotional standpoint this movie just hits it in ways that I would have never expected it to even for a guardians movie which has always through the trilogy has been that emotional in its own way but I think in the the mood the the friendship the story of friendship what that means and I think the real life questions about friendship that are legit are all in this movie and that's why when you see when you talk about the way that this movie ends and the pacing of that song and how it kind of matches with everything. And I think of Mantis leaving and Drax watching her leave and stuff like that, just like that, it speaks to exactly what you're talking about, which is why like in seeing that it's, and that's why I say, I I say to myself, I'm going to be thinking about this movie for a long time and it's amazing to say, but it's just something that left a, a very, um, you know very emotional had an emotional impact on me cuz it it makes you think about life which is what i said last week it makes you think about life and some of the things that you go through um in relationships and and things like that and i think it was just a you know perfect encapsulation uh, of all of that stuff but yeah thank you yes no I and mean, you guys had a big part of it so yeah. i should i should ask so sam you had mentioned before in some of our some of our earlier chats leading up to this about the department and it, it's a big department to 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 put this together can you at least describe not just how much how many how many people but what it takes to put something like this together oh huh. if you I if you can't play something in, like that the most in the most succinct <laughs> way possible
2: no i know <laughs> i the, a lot of a lot of prayers to the film gods Um, <laughs> um <laughs> No, I mean you have to. You have to have an ama- amazing and incredible team that you trust. And Beth Mickle, our designer, Alan Hook, and Dave Scott, our supervising art directors, hired a team of people who are incredibly talented and and crafty and like have so much knowledge. In terms of scale, we had over fifty people in the art department, over two hundred people in construction over 50 people in set deck, um, I think 12-plus people in props. And when we talk about the art department, some like the, the people you're talking to here, Kristen and Christian, we are within what is the official art department, which is the designer, art directors, illustrators, set designers, um, uh oh gosh, what do we have now? VR concept artists. You know, there's all kinds of people, graphic designers, our PAs, our coordinators. Um, but within that, we are also the creative department that helps drive the set decoration and the props department. They are their own departments, but you all in construction too, but we all kind of work under this creative umbrella together. So when we talk about our jobs, I mean, for me, a day can be spent talking to so many people, I mean, going to stage and talking to all the construction, everybody has questions. What do we do about this? What are we going to do about this? And then you have to have meetings with the grip department, the electric department. I don't even know how many people are on the actual crew of this, but just watch. If you want, do yourself a favor, audience, if you're going to watch it, <laughs> sit through the credits. And just, know, that's still just a fraction of the people. I would say it's most, it's probably like 75%. There's usually a group of people that don't get the credit because they've either worked a few days or they just didn't get the credit because there's so many people on there. So that kind of scale, I would say if you want a sense of kind of what we do and how it gets done, uh, watch them behind the scenes of films being made. I think one of the things I loved watching growing up with The Lord of the Rings um the six hours worth of dvds of making of um and that's really actually what got me interested in art department seeing like the sculpting and the painting and the construction the design and the illustrations um christian you were saying john Howe, like he was i looked to him and i looked at those illustrations (laughs) just fell in love with them and he was such an inspiration um growing up so i i that's what i would encourage people to do but yes do you know there was So we are just a few faces of many, many.
1: The thing I always try to explain to people, because I, you know, never worked in film and television, but I'm very into film and television. And I have a lot of friends who just like, will be like, how does a movie cost $200 million? And like, among other things, it's because you look at the credits, those were all people who are employees. That's like a company that you had to make. Like, obviously, once again, it's not that simple, but it's like, why, if you had to hire all these people to do a job, it would cost a lot of money. So like, these are all people who spend their time. And I think it is important to remember that like, Every name you see in the credit is someone whose job it was to make this movie. Um, and it's beautiful that uh, that they can make something this good, honestly. It's all, if you see all those people that make something bad, it's kind of unfortunate. But if it's something good, then...
2: <laughs> we've all made something bad. Like, we've all been on something. And that's how yeah. people are like, oh, you're working on these great and glorious films. But guess what? We've also worked on ones that did not do as well. But we worked just as hard to make that. For set. sure. So it's awesome that this is successful and that people are going to see it. But I definitely know I've done a lot of things where I'm like very proud of, but not a lot of people seen it. Doesn't mean it's any less than because I learned a lot from that, and I think we all have. I mean, Kristen and Christian, you can speak to this too. Like your backgrounds and where you come from has had an impact on your line of work.
4: Yeah, I mean.
5: I don't know how to answer that. But, <laughs>
2: well, what was your? Uh, I mean, I'm it, sorry. I'm going to ask. you. I mean, you, what was your I mean
5: for, for for it. I always say to people, if you want to take credit for the success of a movie on your own, you also have to take credit for all the failures. So, and and in because in my career, I I started as a as a, I did graphic novels. I, I, I studied science. I was not good at it. I became a graphic novels guy and got into movies. I got to Hollywood with 20 photocopies in my in my hand and a plane ticket of my illustrations. And I started on Fifth Element, went on Titanic, mm-hmm. on The Matrix, Dark City, What Dreams May Come. So the result was these were all really extremely good movies. So my response was that's because I'm very, very good. I'm very very good at some very, very good movies.
0: That's talk lovely. talk man, talk. And then
5: talk. And, and then later, you know, <laughs> I made thirty more movies. Some terribly not so great, you know. So and then you learn suddenly. No, it's not about that. First of all, it's not about that at all. And second of all, I always try to give a hundred percent on every single movie. It's always the same. They ask me, how can you? work on that it's like because we are making worlds and in this action this 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 ability or this this um, luck to be able to create things from nothing this is what it's really about to be part of a group which use the imagination to make people happy to make people dream that's what it's about and I'll say sometimes to my students I say and it's very cheesy but I say Like Willy Wonka, you know, we are the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams, and that's why I think we are so privileged. That's why people will probably do it without getting paid. Like it is a unique. Don't say that too loud. Don't try to do it.
1: (laughs) Don't say too loud.
5: We get paid, (laughs) but (laughs) but I'm just saying it is something. It's actually something we have to really try to do more is to to do the exercise of imagination. I think a lot of the things which happen in the world which don't work is of a lack of imagination. Also, what could turn bad, you know. So I do believe that that um, movies which are very imaginative they can be put. Yes, that's for little kids. You know, that's not important. You know, that's sugar water for kids. But I believe that the the, the jobs we have they are very important,
0: actually. No, I'm actually glad that you mentioned that because it, uh, one of the things that Sam had mentioned in the prior email leading up to this was the discussion about in the industry now a lot about AI and what and how that's impacted the industry. We've seen it with the Writers Guild of America and the current writer strike that's going on. And I guess the the way that i would present this to all of you and and want to hear your opinions on it how do you feel about how ai has started to impact your work because i i mean as me personally as somebody who's seen it i do happen to have a, a friend or two who who work in the industry and have kind of seen the stuff as well and they've kind of pointed it out as well that this is a thing that's really um, taking shape and kind of taking a hold over things. And it could be the simplest thing as you'll see a Twitter post of of AI art and now it's you, you almost see it all the time and it's kind of just permeated throughout everything, which is, it, it's amazing how something like that has happened so fast, but, you know, technology tends to do stuff like that. So um, I'll start with you, Kristen. What, what have, in your opinion and how you've seen this, kind of take shape in in uh in the industry. What are your thoughts on it? How do you feel that it's impacted it and also what is the type of message that you would want to send to just regular people like me who's just a fan who's 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 interested in the art and stuff like that and how this could affect the work and the creative things that Christian just uh, talked about?
3: I think it's definitely something that's going to at this current moment is affecting graphics and illustrators more than it is a set designer because I still have to create these these construction drawings for construction to be able to build these incredible things, but it's coming for me, so to speak. Um, (laughs) There's definitely software out there that can just generate these drawings, but the reality is that it's just taking different pieces, it's taking other people's stuff and creating something and which is in itself unfair, but it also can't troubleshoot. And it also, it creates a mentality that things can just be done immediately. And the thing that's really fascinating and was really great about Guardians was that we, we went in fast and hard on this thing the whole time, but we still had the time to play play with what was needed and creatively problem solve and come up with something completely unique that AI can't do. It can't. It's just going to give you some other thing that's already been done and just sort of mishmashed, and and it probably won't fit together. And it'll make the indoors life a living nightmare. Um, <laughs> but I think it's just something that we all have to pay attention to. And the more that we feed that beast, the bigger that beast becomes. Because it's so easy to go, hey, look, I can get twenty-seven headshots for twelve dollars, and I didn't have to go sit in a studio. But that means you you took money away and and talent away from a photographer and it's not really who you are so the more that we get to actually do what we're doing we get to create these worlds for everyone to be immersed in and it's part of who we are and it's part of who everyone else is as they're enjoying it as well
0: right and 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 Christian i know that that was something that you were starting to key in on what what is your opinion about ai and and how that's impacted the industry
5: yeah, I actually, I tested uh, some of the AI programs. I was asked for a film festival to test it to see. And I was able to generate some fantastic images really, really quick. And And I was not one of the people who said, oh, it doesn't look good or whatever. I, I thought it was actually really interesting. The problem is, is that, that the images alone is not what we do people mistake the image of the illustrator as the as the product. But that's actually a side effect. Because what we do is answer questions. When we make a painting or a model or a stuff, we engage in a discussion. That discussion is a million micro decisions. Is there gravity? Is there no gravity? Are there rich people, poor people? What do they eat? What colors do they use? Can they breathe the air? Every time I illustrate, I click a little bit further into this. So the the illustration is not the product. It's the conversation, which is the product. And when it goes down to the set design, it's same thing. The conversation drives the story. The story drives the movie. And if we lose this, then we will eradicate all those minds, which are actually operating. We say, okay, we get the images for free. Uh, Let's put in a little bit of Gaudi, a little bit of color travel, a little bit of sunset, hope we have a city. We're gonna get a meaningless city. It might be very pretty, but I, I don't think it it works that way, and it shouldn't. That's that's the easy answer. I I do see that certain things can be done in AI. My biggest worry, bigger worry, is actually an overall worry of AI, and I don't want to destroy the entire happy mood here. But I do believe, by all
0: means, by all means it's an important subject to highlight. So you should, should say whatever you feel comfortable saying.
5: I believe this is, and I said that to Sam, and I heard this in in a really cool uh, talk show or something. This is the Oppenheimer moment of AI.
4: Mm. This is the
5: moment where AI, and and I can't even accept that my entire job goes away. I I I, I that could happen. But what is happening with the chatbots, which are on everything, is that the AIs are hacking actually the operating system of humans, and that is language that can be visual language, that can be musical. If I can just say, make Hans Zimmer sound-esque music, it kills Hans Zimmer, but it also kills everything which comes in. But now on the Oppenheim moment, I talk more about, we're gonna completely alter the DNA of our society. No child will write the paper anymore. Again, it's not the paper about global warming, which matters. It's that the child understood global warming while writing the paper. We, we And so if we don't do this, we will be eradicated. I believe this. it sounds like some sort of crazy QAnon conspiracy, but I believe we need to stop the open chat box uh, bots now because it's just money-making of Microsoft and all those big groups and we had this moment already when the internet came. And everybody said, oh, the internet is so great. It makes everybody so happy. And now we have all these kids which are only you know, can't get on their devices. And are on Snapchat, this is the second coming. The, the, I think the chatbots will become something very, very dangerous. And their learning abilities are very, very real. And that comes from a person who has a lot of imagination. So, But I heard real scientists talking about it. We need to stop it to get out. Um, the person who wrote Sapiens, the book uh, about the brief history of mankind, he says AI is like basically giving everybody an atomic bomb, except that the atomic bomb becomes even bigger. So mm. I'm not... I'm not uh, saying that for fun, but I truly believe this is the 2023 20, is the year where we need to do something. That's why I'm standing with the writers and would start with anybody. I'm not saying we never need to use it. I believe even that computing power can save maybe cancer. We can maybe even eradicate plastics or global warming or talk to dolphins, but it is dangerous. Like like having a gun is dangerous, or having your own youth is dangerous. Not everybody needs one, you know. So I i truly believe, from the micro, yes, it affects us. To the macro, it's going to be a real problem for the whole world.
1: I truly believe that. So I hate to say it too, because no, like... I I think it's right, and I, and I think that I think about because I um I'm a writer. I went to college for writing. I care very deeply about these things, and even obviously the larger world affecting things I think you're absolutely right on, but I can't even speculate about that. The thing that I'm most afraid of when I try to tell people is like, especially from the writing side, like the AI right now is not at a place where it can do as good as a writer could, but that's actually not the test of whether or not writers get replaced. It's whether or not someone rich thinks that they can convince people that it's as good as a writer. And I think that like in all aspects of our life, Will be forced to accept worse quality because it's AI and it's cheaper. And then what happens if in twenty years, when all the writing is all AI, all AI is learning from his AI, and things the world just gets less and less creative? And then also, like, in I want Sam to chime in, but just like, what the hell is the point of being human beings if we if we have to go to work and work hard jobs? But expression is what we automate. Why don't we automate the jobs at factories? You know, that's human creativity is the point of being on the earth, is it not?
0: Anyway, they're, I, really, you know. they're really trying to black mirror us, man. It's <laughs> nasty work, nasty work out here. But Sam, yeah, give, give us your opinion on it as well.
2: I feel like Christian and Kristen said it so beautifully. Like I 100% agree with them on all fronts. And I mean, what I'm getting away from a lot of this is it's, it's just something you said, Jake. It's our humanity. Question your humanity. What does it mean to be human? Um, I agree. I don't think it's going away. But I see it as a tool and I'm going to be completely honest like some days I'm like I I don't quite have the time to do a full kind of rendering but if I could just do a an idea because I do a ton of research a ton of research and I want to be able to use it as a tool but not as a replacement and something you all mentioned earlier was how nowhere and a lot of these sets they felt real and they felt like there was thought behind them and that there was a history. And that is something that Christian and Kristen spoke to about, like, we are an X factor. Human beings are not just photo bashers. There's, all of us are making a million micro decisions. And that's how you get to the final product. We don't get there just because we made it some pretty images that we, they are beautiful. But it wasn't that wasn't the goal. The goal was to tell the story behind the history of these people. And as artists, and I say artists, that could be writers, mathematicians, scientists, they're artists too. That the advancements in humanity have only gotten there because our human brains broke through the wall that I think a machine hits. Um mm-hmm. I love Black Mirror. I love, I've always loved sci-fi, and I love these stories because they do ask us that question. What does it mean to be human? Um, And when I worked on Westworld, boy, did we have that discussion a lot. You know, like, what does it mean to be a sentient being? At what point do you go past that? Um, And I think those are questions that I hope we never stop asking, especially as we continually develop technology like this.
1: Also, let me just say, all of these like AI generated Wes Anderson things don't look anything like Wes Anderson movies. These people have no taste. I hate them. It seems like everyone who wants to make AI stuff just wants to use AI to get rid of the women in the Last Jedi. They all suck. I hate them. I that's how I really feel.
0: Oh man, and uh, no, I'm I'm glad you guys mentioned all these things. And I think what uh, you know what I can speak to is to kind of what you said, Sam, about the emotion. Is when I talk about something like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, I talk about the emotion. I talk about how it made me feel. And what we should not lose sight of is how we feel when we go to the movies and we see these things created by people who are human and, you know, have emotion and have spirit, all of those things. That type of energy is something that cannot be replaced in any type of way by something automated. I just do not believe that in any way, shape or form. Nothing is as good as the original. So that's kind of how I feel. That's kind of how I feel about that. But um, no, I'm glad you guys were able to, um, you know, voice this because it's really important that this gets mentioned because it's a serious thing that's happening in the industry. And it's what the writers are fighting for as well. Uh, you know, pay the writers. We say it on this show. We've been saying it on this show the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Pay them. Pay them up. Pay ups. Yeah. Pay up. But uh, uh, Jake, um, I know we got to probably wrap soon, but do you have anything else that you want to get into with... uh?
1: Um, I mean, not particularly, I, I mean, there's plenty I still want to talk about, but not anything that's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. I think that, um, just if we could go around, if there's any like nugget, a fun little thing that you want people to look for, like <laughs> in, like, like what we mentioned with the, you know, Peter's, um, apartment being, uh, orange and blue, like, is there a thing that you got in there that you're very happy that like, when you went to see the movie, you pointed like Leo in the meme and, uh, pointed <laughs> out to someone. <laughs>
2: i'm gonna let you guys go first oh no <laughs> yeah there's so yeah. many there's so
4: many Gosh, um,
2: <laughs> there's a few that i can't say um but you know <laughs> um, yeah you can translate all those signs if anybody's mm-hmm. curious and wants to go back um
4: ah. yeah,
2: yeah
3: I, I love that little nugget that little graphics nugget that
4: Yes. that nowhere
3: is, it's language is, is a langu- language and it is an actual text. And that's really cool.
2: Um, Oh gosh, gosh, there's so, there are so many things, um, <laughs> that, that we put into these projects and into these, I'm trying to go back through my images, um, and into this, that I would say you can almost screenshot anything and like dig into it and go, mm-hmm. Oh, wait, is that the thing from the thing, you know? Um, Oh, I think one of, well, there's many of these things in there, but um, with Nowhere, we were trying to be very resourceful and something another art director has said to me is um, upcycling. So what we did on Nowhere a lot, I don't know about the the other sets, but we were able to take set pieces from some of the Marvel warehouse and like reuse them, repaint them, so that we're trying to be resourceful, just like any, even though we're a giant multi-million dollar movie, like the still some of the aspects of an independent filmmaker come into play where you have to think, you have to think smart, smarter not harder. like yes, you have to build a lot of big stuff, but there was a lot of things that we put in there. Hey, can we find a wall texture um that we can reuse and repaint? Um so I was really happy with with those. I would say, Color-wise, one of the things that made me happiest on the Guardians headquarters, I was trying to figure out colors for a lot of the sets, and I was like, oh, I wonder if I was looking at the comic books, and I was like, oh, like, they have these cool new suits. Like, I wonder if I could use that color. So I just started playing with that, and Beth was the one. She goes, you know that the Guardians' new suits are those colors, the blue and the red, and I was like, no, I had no idea. So it was this beautiful mesh and meld of again creative brains that are all kind of on the same wavelength and i love when that symbiosis happens i think that's fine
0: (laughs) that's wonderful i do you guys i know you could you could mention a lot but do you have any any in particular that that might stand out just say to get out on
3: i just i kind of what sam was saying of just how we got to reuse like one of the things that i've really struggled with as someone who works in film, is, is just how wasteful we can sometimes be. And there's so many things that we either can't reuse for whatever NDA reasons, or we just don't have anywhere to put it, or something like that. And I just really love that, like, the Marvel warehouse exists, period. And that we were allowed to, like, go in there and find cool stuff. And just the weird little things that we found, like the the pig grating and the, like, irrigation stuff and if you look at the spaceport it was one of the sets that I worked on and if you look at the little train track kind Mm. of thing it's really it's a broomstick holder that they took and they like the one that you like you stick your broom in and you push it up and then like the gravity kind of holds it in and Plaster just took it like a mold of it and just made a bunch of them but it's just this weird $10 thing from Home Depot that just became this huge little Textured element in there that just was so bizarre, but really fun to, to get to do and just it kind of just changed the way that I looked at literally anything that I walked by. Um. That reminds me,
2: Kristen, do you remember in the armory I totally forgot about this until you just said it the door we were designing the door that oh, yeah. burst through and there was this we were trying to figure out like what a push plate or a handle does he kick it is it open so we were like what do we put on the door. And I remember there was like some complicated design we wanted to do. And I don't know if it was you or me. We had like these ink cartridges left over from the water. And we were like, do you think we could just paint these and put them on the door? And we did. It looked cool. It looked cool.
1: Hey, the Michael Myers mask is a painted William Shatner mask. I mean, it's just, you do what you gotta do. Yeah. Uh, It's movie magic. Stuff like that was
3: really, really cool. And just, it's also, I also remember that door just every time. Like, I think we did like 10 versions of them, and every single one of them looked like a tiki cup to me. And I was like, this one looks like a robot. And Sam was like, dang it. <laughs> it was really funny, just going through and just being like, this looks like a face. <laughs> and you're like, so then you're just like tweaking it around and making it not look like a face.
4: No. Oh. Making <laughs> it not look like a face. Everything looks like a face.
5: I remember one set which which, which comes to mind it's, it was a set where uh, where the mom of warlock I don't know her name uh, the golden- Aisha Aisha so Aisha holds her her wounded son in front of the golden ship which was designed by Fausto Martini uh, uh, and and so they said she holds the son is wounded so what I did is I, I made exactly the pose of Michelangelo's Pietà. And I gave her a pillow, and I sent them a picture of the Pieta side by side with uh, with the golden people, and uh, and they they love that. And and it is exactly that pose, and it's funny because there's a second Michelangelo moment when Warlock goes and saves Quill, he pushes with the finger, and that's of course the hand of God in the Sistine Chapel but the i don't know if they did that because i introduced the the whole bizarre or re- religious theme in the first place
1: but, <laughs> but, but th- these are really funny and, and and cool moments so that is wonderful i also i don't know if you know whoever's idea it was to give the stool to the high evolutionary, because Elizabeth Debicki is 6'3". I just want, they their name should have been in bold in the credits, no disrespect to anyone else, but that's just my favorite James.
2: idea. I James. had to be, like, uh, his sense of humor, like, with that.
1: Directors have been hiding the fact she's been 6'3 for the last decade, and he's like, no, she is 6'3, and we're going to put it front and center. I love um, and love important." It.
2: I love it. Yeah. I think that was really one, love. like, speaking to the fun... Oh, sorry, go with Kristen.
3: Oh, I was going to say, that's one thing that I really love about, like, doing stuff with James, is he's just because this is um this is the second one that i've done with james um it's just he thinks about all these little things all the time and he just really knows he wants to create that whole 360 world but he also really he knows exactly what he's going to shoot and everything is planned out even when he's writing the script like when we when we were on the suicide squad he he we got the script and he was like read it with the music and he had picked the songs that he wanted to use and they were in the script and you could play them like as you were reading the script and it's all timed out perfectly. It was just such a, he's just such an incredible like mastermind of, of creating these worlds in this environment to to the point where he's got the the song picked out and he's like, Well, twenty seven seconds of this, and then and you're like, What? That totally worked. Yeah. Before you even built anything, before you've drawn anything, it's just really neat.
0: Yeah. I love it. Yeah, truly wonderful <laughs> stuff uh, from all of you. I, I I have to say, me and Jake are grateful to have you guys on tonight for this for this episode. Really, and not only informative, but I think it's always good to get the vantage point of, of because we always talk about the actors and the directors and the producers and everything like that. But to get an insight into wh- how these films look, the visuals, they you know, it's it's not just this simple as you guys mentioned. You have such a such an expansive team and all of those things so to each of you from me and Jake much appreciated coming on uh thank you so much so I guess thank you. if if there is anything that's in terms of whether you guys have a website or 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 something to look up your work where we can find your work and see and and see uh little things like that uh, uh Christian I'll start with you where where, where can we find? Any of your wonderful work?
5: Well, Instagram, Seashore two thousand and one, and then my whole name—it's weird, but it's Christian Lawrence shorer You have to spell it dot com. That's the website. It's the (laughs) worst worst handle I could have imagined, but there it is. So I think you're gonna find it. It's just if you can spell my name, which is hard, but if you get there, you probably get. I'll put
1: it. I'll put all these links in the description, so no one has to spell anything
0: wonderful stuff. Thank you. And Kristen, Kristen, is, is there any place that we can find uh, what you do as well?
3: Oh, I'll be honest. I'm very terrible about doing any of that. Um, <laughs> my website was not a thing anymore. Um, but you can find sometimes you can find some stuff on my Instagram, which is uh, Kristen underscore H underscore Jenkins. Um, so sometimes I'll put stuff there, but I'm not very good about doing that. Yeah,
0: there's nothing wrong with that. I struggle <laughs> my way to things as well. no. No, no like, biggie on that at all. <laughs>
1: right.
3: Everyone's like, "Where's your portfolio?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah." Somewhere. We I'll
1: we we are st- we're, we're still trying to get our stuff over on Instagram because we started on Twitter, and now that it's a dying platform, we're like trying to do more on Instagram. But it's just it's not native to us, so, so we understand the struggle.
0: Yeah, so yeah, we're trying to figure things out as well. So I I empathize and sympathize, <laughs> and of course, uh, and of course, Samantha, uh, what a pleasure as always. Uh, to have you join us or oh, where can we find your work? Let the people know.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. This has been really wonderful. And now I just want to reminisce with you guys the whole night. Um, <laughs> uh, you can find me on my website at samantha-avila.com. My last name is A-V, as in victory, I-L-A.com. Um, and yeah, you can just see our work in the theaters as well. <laughs> oh.
0: yep. Yes. Absolutely wonderful work that is as well. Jay Christie, where can we follow you, sir?
1: Well, this is the most important information. No, I'm kidding. Uh you can <laughs> follow me on t- No. I do I don't have any uh professional workup, but you can follow me on Twitter at the Jay Christie. Please listen to my other podcast. I do uh the psych rewatch show, love it first psych. Um, you know, if you like the show psych and uh, Anthony will promote the rest of the stuff for our show.
0: Yes, yes. You can follow me on Twitter at Anthony Canton underscore three, follow the show at MC University Pod where you can get all of our latest content including the stuff that we do on patreon patreon.com slash mcuniversitypod where we get two bonus episodes a month subscriber mailbags on its way um, uh, soon so that should be fun to do and uh, yeah just continue to rate review and subscribe five stars five stars do it five stars five times if you have to and so <laughs> for samantha for Christian and for Kristen and Jake, I'm Anthony Canton the third. This has been Marvel Cinematic University, and we will talk to you next time.